Thanks, Josh. I was just thinking how far Josh has come since he invited me down to Randy Lehman's house, and, and he said, Brother Ross, i got to talk to you. And I said, what is it? And he said, uh, um, I think the Lord wants me in ministry. I remember that. You remember that night? Of course you do. That was really exciting, and it's just neat to see how God has worked in his life, how God has led. And uh, the only thing that I'm kind of complaining about, God led him down here to Iowa, but, you know, hey, <clears throat> need, as, need as many Minnesota preachers down here in Iowa as we can get. <clears throat> <laughs> I, I got to say, guys, I, I got to say, the tornado was a nice touch for a northern Minnesota guy. I mean, it was. You know, that was a nice touch. We, we don't get them hardly ever up there. And to get down here and get one right before the service and have it go away at the beginning of the service, nice touch. <clears throat> I mean, whoa, that was, that was really exciting. I want to say thank you to the IRBC committee for allowing me to come. It's my privilege to be here. It's a joy to be able to get together with men and, and to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and what an impact he can make in our lives. As an evangelist traveling to down through the years, I, I've been preaching now, I think, for a little over 40 years. I've got to be honest, men are really struggling. And I don't know, maybe we're coming to the close of this dispensation, maybe it's another 10,000 years, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, nor going to pretend to be one, but I am going to preach the word, and I do know that we are going into some very difficult times for us as men. So I've been given a task tonight, and I, if you look at your little booklets that have been handed out, I've titled this The Custody of the Local Church. You know, when we trusted Christ as our Savior, he, he brings us into a level of responsibility, and I want to talk about that tonight and two times tomorrow morning. So let me give you the general introduction. The use of the word custody here means guardianship and preservation, so we need to be doing this. Why? Matthew 16, 18, the Lord said he's going to build his church. He doesn't want the world to prevail against it. He doesn't want the flesh. He doesn't want the devil to prevail against it. And, and I've got to be honest with you. There's a lot of struggling going on amongst men, especially in the area of anger, in the area of lust, and the fighting pornography, and it is just so prevalent across the landscape. And there is an answer, and unfortunately, I don't think it's being emphasized to the degree that it should, and that's what we're going to try to accomplish. So point number two, by way of introduction, take custody. For the purpose of this, I mean, you need to care for your local church. You need to invest in caring for your local church. You know, if the local church's future is entirely hinged upon you, what would it look like? We need to take custody of that. Titus chapter 3 and verse 15, he said, how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, it is the church of the living God. It is our, it is our, it is our Lord that is alive. Number three, by way of introduction, this study will focus on three aspects of guardianship and preservation of the local church. Number one, serving in and through the local church. That's all of our goal. We, we need to do that. We need to be the servants that Christ would have us to be. And then evangelizing, evangelizing in and through the local church. How many people have you tried to lead to Christ this year? It's vitally important that we do that. Um, you know, the Lord, he gave you a pastor. He gives us evangelists. And he does so so that we might be equipped so that you will do the work of the ministry. Did you know I'm an evangelist? It is not my job as an evangelist to win souls. Did you know that? It's not my job in the pastoral role to win souls. It is my job as a Christian. It is my job as a believer. 
And so that's for all of us. Number four, our goal is to be reminded that we are doxologically driven. And what does that mean? That means we do all to the glory of God. Ephesians 3.21, he said, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him beware. Glory where? In the church. And you are the church. You are to bring glory to God. And so we're going to look at that. that. That power is that focus that we're going to begin in this first session focusing on the power of God as to how we can change to be men to the glory of God. So our goal is to be reminded of that. Emory Bancroft, he says in that little corner thing down there, the mission of the church is to glorify God by winning men to Christ, building them up in Christ, and sending them out for Christ. Our first session together, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 5 through 13, and would you do me a favor? Would you all stand for the reading of the Word of God tonight? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. By the way, we're going to go there again in the morning, because I want to make sure that we digest the material that's here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. By the way, you see the word form there? It comes from the Greek word morphe, and that's where we get our term for morphology. Jesus Christ is the one who is that absolute example of who God is and the perfect example of who man is. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man. See the word fashion there? Critically important. It comes from the Greek word schema. And this is where we get our English word for schematic. And it's teaching us that Jesus Christ is the perfect schematic. He is the ultimate one that we need to be like. He is our target. He is our goal. He is our focus. So in fashion as a man, what did he do? Okay, let's follow the process. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, because of this, God also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Here we go, and this is how we can glorify God in the church. Every knee should bow. Have you been bowing the knee? Have you been bowing the knee before God? Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And here's the second key ingredient, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, because of this, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, what does he want you to do? permeate your life with the gospel. What what saved you? Work out that salvation. That doesn't mean try and figure out how to get saved. It means take the salvation that you have when you trust Christ as your Savior. Take that and permeate every aspect of your life. Work out your salvation and do it with fear and trembling because this is a difficult task. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do good pleasure. That word worketh comes from the Greek word energeo, transliterated into English. That's where we get our word for energized. You get up in the morning, you have your devotions, you pray, you seek God. He's the one who energizes you to live the Christian life, to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Let's pause for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, on the way down, I was just musing and wondering, Lord, why did you bring me to speak to these these wonderful men and their pastors and friends in this great place? But obviously, Lord, there are so many out there who could be standing where I am right now. And so, Lord, I am humbled. 
And yet, Lord, I, I believe that you laid your truth on my heart that they need to hear. And so, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you would cause them to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ by paying attention to the Word of God and letting that Word, as we've already heard, Lord, dwell in them richly. I know the evil one has been fighting. I know, Lord, that carnality has been raging, and I know that there are some men here in this room tonight who are, who are so struggling with repetitive, habitual sin in their lives, Lord, that they, they don't even know if they should confess it anymore, Lord, because they're not sure whether they're sincere enough if, if that you'll even forgive them. There are others, Lord, who really need to break free of habits and, and struggles and battles, and, and they just don't understand, Lord, what it really means to grow in grace and in the knowledge of their Lord and Savior. So, Lord, I pray for wisdom and thought flow and clarity of mind to share forth your intended message, to articulate your truth in such a way that your spirit can use it to touch, change, and transform our lives. Lord, we are dependent and we are looking for your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. You may be seated. <clears throat> in Philippians chapter 2, I need to give you a little rehearsal of what was happening in chapter 1. Paul has just finished the prologue in prayer, the bio, uh, uh, biographical prologue. A report on the advancement of gospel in Rome, because obviously that's where he is under house arrest at the writing of this. And exhortations to a gospel-worthy lifestyle in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. In chapter 2, he begins to focus on what is called Christ-like humility. I am going to be calling you to become like the Lord Jesus Christ in a very meaningful, practical, and powerful way during our sessions together. So this Christ-like humility literally is key. This, of course, is our model to aspire to, which is the premise. It is the gateway to genuine service. I want you to serve in and through and around your local church. But if you're going to serve in and through your local church, you're going to have to understand what the gateway is and understand just exactly what God wants to do in your life. He, uh, servanthood is the genuine manifestation of what we call progressive sanctification sanctification simply means the process whereby you you sin less and less and less and you become more and more like the lord jesus christ by the way without this there is no authentic christianity let me just tell you as a preacher who sees churches that go through the forms of service and worship and i am often reminded that in the doing of it, it is very akin to the nation of Israel where the Lord says, I hate your songs, I hate your feast days, I hate all of these things that are doing it because your heart for me is not in it. And so we need to turn ourselves to becoming Christ-like. How do you do that? Remember this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. So what does this mean? What is the process that is going to bring about Christ's likeness? What is the process that's going to bring us to the place where we can fight sin and actually be overcomers to the glory of God? And what is some of the confusing theology that's driving our failure out there today? Man, am I, I'm, I'm really glad you asked. Because <laughs> that's what I plan on spending much of the evening doing. Point number one, service then begins with submission. Look over to the side. You see that little box in Ephesians 5.18. It says, And be not drunk with wine, 
We're in a success, but be filled with the Spirit. For those of you that are Bible students, this comes from Pleirouste and Penumetai in the Greek. Most of you know that the Bible was in the New Testament originally written in Greek. The idea is that we are to be continually filled. And submission to God begins by having the mind of Christ in us. Now, I, I, can, can I take you to the side? This is, this is going to be free. Okay, this is totally going to be free. You know, preachers, when we preach and we say, this is what I want you to do. You need to get right with God. You need to live for God. You need to serve God. Come down here and kneel and pray. And this is what happens. We come down and say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I was, I've been you know, lying, cheating, stealing, and doing whatever. You know, I, I, if I don't name yours, fill in the blank. And, Lord, I've been doing all these terrible things. And, Lord, I, I please, I want you to forgive me. And we say, come on down and surrender your life to Christ. Here's the problem. Most of the time when we get up off our knees, you know what we think? Oh. Boy, oh boy, am I ever glad that's over with. Whew, we man alive, I've surrendered my life to Christ, and now aren't things going to improve? You know what the Bible says? And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, He is going to teach you to fight against the sin. And most of the time when you begin, matter of fact, it's altruistic. When you begin to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the fight begins. So I want you to understand, you come and you say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. We, you know, I just taught a class not too long ago on Oberlin perfectionism, Wesleyan perfectionism, New Haven theology, and the higher life movement. So many times we think that if we come and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, life is just going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to jump up on a higher plane, and the, the temptation's going to disappear, the struggle's going to disappear, and the, the battle's going to disappear. No, just the opposite is true. And can I help you with something? If these guys don't want to listen over here for this one, please, let you guys tell them later over here, will you? The more you fight against sin, the more you demonstrate your genuine, authentic love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The more you demonstrate your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if Jesus Christ loved you enough to take away all of your sins in a progressive sense and just wash them away so that you never fought them anymore, guess what? How would you demonstrate your love for the Lord? How would you do that? The only way that you can demonstrate your love for the Lord is fight the sin in your life to live to the glory of God. So we need to understand this meaning in Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine where it is success, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you look at that little box to the size, it said the filling of the Spirit must be accompanied by fulfilling our biblical responsibilities. In other words, there's a divine responsibility. You're going to see it in just a second. God is going to do something for you if you will let him. And then you have responsibilities. There's a human responsibility. Submission, then, is going to advance your progressive sanctification as God the Holy Spirit touches your heart about sin. You exercise 1 John 1, 9 and confess it as sin. He forgives you. Then you move on to phase number two, which is the mortification of sin, destroying that sin in your life. But you have a responsibility. Back in the middle 1800s, by the way, this battle has always been true for Christians. Look what J.C. Ryle wrote in his book on holiness. Sanctification is, again, a thing that depends greatly on a diligent use of scriptural means. When I speak of means, I have in view Bible reading, private prayer, regular attendance on public worship. Hey, how's your church faithfulness? Regular hearing of God's word and regular reception of the Lord's Supper. Hey, why should we receive the Lord's Supper? 
because it's a time where you remember to judge yourself because if you don't do it the lord's going to judge you taking communion at your local church however often they have it is a vital important uh, uh, thing that christ called us to do so that we maintain a confessed up prayed up relationship I lay it down, he says, as simple matter of fact, that no one who is careless about such things must ever expect to make much process, uh, progress in their sanctification. So, what we're going to do is I want you to understand and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. There isn't a passage of Scripture, there isn't a portion of Scripture that probably has been abused theologically more than the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so what I'm going to do, I want to persuade you that what I'm going to say is coming from the Bible. And that means we're going to have to maybe move the needle theologically, where you're at, what you believed before, or to bring you to a reminder of what's critically important in this area. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, what I'm going to do is use a hermeneutical method because I want you to be persuaded. In other words, to study the Scripture, we actually extrapolate from the Scriptures how to read the Scriptures and how to believe the Scriptures. There is a historical, literal, grammatical, contextual, theological process which we go from, which literally we get from the Scriptures. What I'm going to do is to use a grammatical study right now to show you what the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit is all about. So if you look in your little booklets, it says the meaning of pleruste and panumatai, the, the meaning of filled with the Spirit. The first thing that I want you to understand is pneumatai, the word for the Holy Spirit there, is grammatically what we call a dative. Now what that means simply, it could be a dative of content or it could be a dative of means. Let me explain what that means. It says, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're talking about us being filled with actually the content of the Holy Spirit, in other words, the Holy Spirit somehow, oftentimes the phrase has been said, um, he, we don't get more of him, he gets all of us. Which, by the way, that, that is only a partial truth even also. And so what we're supposed to understand here is that if it was a dative of content, when, when you trust Christ, you're born again into the family of God, you, you start this process of getting more and more either of the Holy Spirit's control or the Holy Spirit's sphere of influence, and sometimes they mix in there the, the spiritual gifts and, and, and the empowerment and maybe victory over sin or instantaneous victory over sin. And, and what is really true? Well, let, let's take a look at what this, what this really means. You see, if it's a dative of content, you'd say, well, it's like filling a pool or filling a tire with air or filling one's stomach with food or liquid. But the idea behind play ruste and penumatai, the idea behind being filled with the Spirit means by the means of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be filled with something. It means like filling a pool with a hose. You know, if I told Josh, I said, hey, Josh, I need you to go outside. There was an empty swimming pool out there. And I said, Josh, um, see the hose over there? I want you to fill the pool with the hose. And I come back a little later on. I'm about to take a dip. And I go over there, and the pool is filled with hose. <laughs> um, I think you got it only partially right. <laughs> That's the way we get it with the Holy Spirit often, too. That's exactly what we get wrong with the Holy Spirit. We're trying to say that, you know, it will, will fill us up with the Holy Spirit, and that's what it's not trying to teach. It's by the means of the Holy Spirit. Look at the bottom of the illustration. The one who is actually going to fill us, if you look over to the right screen, the one who actually is going to do the filling is the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the means of the Holy Spirit, and how is he going to do that? He's going to illumine us. He's going to guide us into all truth. He's going to cause us to remember. And, and when we fight him, he's grieved and he's quenched. He is going to teach us Christ's ways. He is going to remind us 
portions of the Word of God, as we put on the whole armor of God, as we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God, He is going to enable us. He is going to energize us. He's going to work within us on a daily basis to choose those things which are right, good, and godly so that decision by decision in your actions, attitudes, and attitudes, you are going to become more Christ-like as a believer, and you're going to do that through the Word of God. And so the Holy Spirit is going to take the logos of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The Holy Spirit wants us to bring glory in the church. He is going to bring us to Christ-likeness. That is what the fullness of the Holy Spirit is all about. Now, let's get into the details. How does that flesh out, and how can I prove that to you? Well, if you turn to the next page, we're going to look at a contextual argument for Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You Bible students out there, play Rustay and Panumatai. We're going to take a look at what this means contextually. In order to do that, look at We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to see, okay, what does the word filled or fill mean in Ephesians 1? What, it, what does it mean in the rest of the book of Ephesians? Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 4. You see, if, there, if, if, if I have a consistent definition throughout the book of Ephesians and beyond, that this is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Now all of a sudden, the definition is not man-made, outside, external, imposed upon the Scripture, but it's coming up out of the Scripture, a teaching that, by the way, it's an imperative mode, it's a command from Christ, you have to obey it, at least we're supposed to. That's what God is teaching us to do. Well, let's look at the first one, Ephesians 1.23 and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is, and if you're accustomed to underlining in your Bible, I would have you underline, it is his body. And it is the, and this is coming from that, that root word pleiro in the Greek, it is the fullness, pleroma, that filleth, pleirumenu, all in all. So here's the thing, we are Christ's body, and Christ is the one who is the fullness or filling us, making us to become like him. And he is the one who's filling us on a daily basis. So I want you to understand to be filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you're filled up with anything that is really directly referred to with the Holy Spirit. You are being filled with the identity, the image, the moral character, the transformation. You are becoming more like Jesus Christ by the means of the Holy Spirit as you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you submit yourselves to the fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and you engage yourself in glorifying God by letting the Spirit of God remind you moment by moment to confront your attitudes, actions, and appetites so that you become more like Christ decision by decision, moment by moment. And the very fact that you're motivated to do this says that you're letting the Spirit of God work in you. And it is also saying on the human side, up to God, that I love you, Lord. I want to become like you, Lord Jesus. And so the fullness of the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. It makes you Christ-like. It doesn't make you do strange things. It'll make you more like Jesus every single time. It'll make you more like the Lord. Next verse, Ephesians 3.19. And to know the love of Christ. Whose? Christ's love. Center. Underline that if you're accustomed to underlining things in your Bible. Which passeth knowledge that ye might be, here we go, plerostete, that you might be filled with all the fullness, pleroma, of God. So it is Christ who is doing the filling that you might be filled with all the fullness, 
which is of God. Now, is Jesus Christ the same thing as God? Of course he is. John 14, verses 7 through 9, Jesus said to his disciples, if he had known me, you should have also known my father also. And henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show the father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, Philip, and yet that hast thou not seen me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us, not the, show us the Father? Believest thou not that the Father is in me and I am in the Father? Jesus Christ is God. And he is actively working by the Holy Spirit that he sent to this earth. By the way, you know what's one of the common Greek terms that is designated to describe the Holy Spirit for us? Parakletos in the Greek. Para, where we get our word for, for come alongside. Kletos, the helper. Well, what is the Holy Spirit here trying to help you do? He's trying to help you to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ as a husband, as a, as a, as a, as a dad, as a church member, as a deacon, as a pastor, as a, as a servant to the Lord. He's trying to get you to become more like the he, he indwells you. He lives within you, and he's motivating you to try and do that. And it is literally Christ does the filling, the fullness of God, and he's trying to make you Christ-like. He's trying to get you to be righteous. Righteousness is the fruit of walking to become like the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting and surrendering to him. Point number three, Ephesians 4.10, he that descended is the same also that ascended far above the heavens. So who's it talking about? It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he, he is the person that's working in your life and in mine, that he might play role, play role, uh, uh, play Roam, he might uh, say, might fill all things. And again, it's what? It is Christ that is doing the filling. Christ is filling us so that we're becoming more like him in our character and our attitudes, actions, and appetites. Ephesians 5.18 brings us to our key verse that we're trying to understand. How am I going to, how am I going to overcome the sin? How am I going to overcome the battle? How am I going to overcome the struggles? Can I help you with something? Because I'm a guy too. This is how it goes. Some of you guys go on the internet and, you, and up comes a picture and you look, oh man. You, you, you look too long. Maybe some of you looked really way too long. So maybe some of you even looked so long that you acted out on it and all of a sudden it, it wasn't an occasion, it became a pattern. You're ashamed and you're struggling so you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I confess this is sin. And it happened again. And you say, Lord, I confess this is sin, and it happened again. And after a while, you try, and through the mustering up of the emotion of the confection, you say, Lord, I'm not sorry this time. I'm really, really sorry. But you did it again. Lord, now, this time I'm really, 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 really sorry. But somehow you know that intentionality plays a role. That when you intend to go back and do it again, Obviously, Christ factors that in, and, and is there really forgiveness? Is there really not forgiveness? You know what? We're really good at confessing our sin, but we're really lousy at stopping it. And so the Bible says there are two key things from Ephesians that we are to do. We are to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're, we're, we're to put off the old man and put on the new man. We literally are to crowd out by serving and becoming more like the Je Lord Jesus Christ, crowd out that sin in our lives, and we're to starve it out by service in the local church. You see, if you were out serving the Lord and intensifying and growing in your service to the Lord, you wouldn't have the time to be doing those things because you wouldn't be choosing to do so you would set different priorities 
the priorities that the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to listen to to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the means by which we are filled with Christ-likeness. How does that happen? Well, our second point, service then must manifest what? Our submission, whether it's genuine or not. Whether we have authentic submission to God. Hebrews 13, 17, by the way, if you'll underline the word obey and submit, I want you to know that they are imperatives in the Greek, they're commands. Christ is commanding us to obey these. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your soul. It is talking about the fact that you need, to, you need to live to the glory of God through the word of God. And so when the preacher accurately preaches the word of God, you need to submit to that which has been preached. It's the Holy Spirit is going to use that in your life to play Rusthe and Penumatai, be filled with the Spirit to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ in your everyday life. Hey, how much are you like Jesus Christ? I got a good idea. Let me ask your wife. Let me ask your kids. Let me ask your boss. Let me ask the people that work under you. You say, they go, what? <laughs> They're supposed to be like Jesus? Well, listen, I've read the Bible, and what I see there and what I read there, there's a, big, there's a great gulf fix between those two things. Are you happy with that? I'm not. Because when you're, when you're not happy, you're letting the Spirit of God work in your heart. You're letting Him transform you by His resurrected power to become what God would have you to be. Now, um, for you Bible students out there, the word filled, we're supposed to be filled by the means of the Holy Spirit to become Christ-like. This is a present passive imperative, okay? What does that mean for the rest of us in the room? It's a simple statement of fact or reality viewed as occurring in actual time. In other words, God is saying that you need to be filled this, you need to be filled today. You need to be filled in the morning, all of tomorrow. When he wrote this, he said, I, I want you to be filled. Once you understand you've been born again into the family of God, by the way, this fullness of the Holy Spirit begins at, at the point of regeneration, at the point you trust Christ as your Savior and you're born again into the family of God. It begins right then. And it's going to continue to grow. Now, will it accelerate? Of course it's going to accelerate. And, and there are going to be sins in your life that will drop off in the past that used to be patterns, that used to be you know, habits that are now going to be really rare occasions and you're going to be an overcomer. And that's what Christ wants you to do. He wants you to reach down and take somebody else's hand who's struggling with that and pull them along. That's called discipleship, mathetes, going into all the world and make disciples. And you make disciples by winning them to Christ and showing how God's amazing grace, Pleiruste and Penumatai, by the means of the Holy Spirit, has made you to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But many of us were calling people to a Savior who obviously does not have the power to change you. Why should I come to your Christ? What's he done for you? Well, you say, well, he's given me eternal life. Well, you know what? Even the unsaved aren't dumb. They know that if you have an encounter with God, it ought to have a little more of effect than that, right? And if you claim that God actually lives within you, shouldn't it show up a little more than what it is? Well, then I challenge you to examine yourself to see whether you're really in the faith. Grammatically, being filled means it's something that needs to occur every day in actual time. Secondly, this verb represents the subject as being the recipient of the action. 
In other words, you're passive. It's passive voice. In other words, this is something that the Holy Spirit wants to do for you. Listen, I, I want to dial you in on this. I wake up in the morning. Um, my prayer time is in the morning. You can have it at night. You can have it, you know, we, we should pray all day, pray without ceasing. I get it. Okay, but my prayer time sets the tone for my heart's passions, goals, and desires. I go to God. I have my devotions in the evening, so I, I wake up in the morning with the truth of the Word of God having been kind of percolating all night, and now I'm going to get up and I'm going to try and live out what I, what I read the night before. And so when I wake up in the morning, the Holy Spirit who lives within me says, hey, Ross, remember that verse last night? Remember the verse that says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. By the way, that's a command from Christ. You weren't a really good example of that yesterday with your wife. Lord, I'm sorry. I, I confess that a sin. Now, today... Help me to, to let you rule in my life in that area. So my wife does something, you know, she, maybe it's a little irritating thing. Maybe it's some little regular thing that I wish she did, you know, way B, and she does it way A, and I've, I've talked to her how much more important way B is. <laughs> you know, I, I've mentioned that way B is really popular, and, and uh, most folks, uh, if they love God, will do way B, and, and uh, but she's stuck in way A, and, you know, and, it really is a reflection on her lack of spirituality, not going along with her evangelist husband and everything, but she's still stuck in B, and so, Lord, I'll, I'll love her, <laughs> and I'll be nice to her, and, and, but, but God the Holy Spirit says, no, you're grieving and quenching me. Don't do that. You remember the woman that was taken in adultery, and Jesus writes in the sand, and he said, woman, where are thy accusers? The rocks fell out of their hand, and ultimately... Jesus said, woman, I don't condemn you either, but don't, go, don't sin anymore like that. Don't do that. But in the face of that which everyone else wanted to use to accuse somebody else, he used it as an opportunity to be gracious, to overcome sin, and to be transformational. And so the irritations that come my way are allowed into my life, Romans 8.28, they're allowed into my life so that I'll do what? Play Ruste and Penumatai. By the means of the Holy Spirit, as all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will bring a portion of Scripture. He'll bring a scriptural song to my mind. And it's at that moment where I fight. I fight the devil. I fight my flesh. I fight my anger. I fight my sin. And the Spirit of God that dwells within me, He energizes me. And He gives me the ability. He actually allows me the strength, the grace, the power, the enablement to begin to live out that which I am meditating on. Flee youthful loss. Follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Lord, I want to be like you. I desperately want to be like you. But you see, when you have the higher life excuse, when you, when you believe that you get down on an altar and say, Lord, I, I've just given it all to you, you let go and let God, that's not biblical at all. Christ says you are to fight the flesh. You are to fight the good fight. And we're going to be talking about that in great detail in session three. Because the greatest gift you can give your preacher is to walk with God, by the way. Right, preachers? So we are to, thirdly then, it is a command. Matthew Henry says to walk with God is to set God always before us. 
to act as those that are always under his eye. It is to live a life of communion with God, both in ordinances and providences. It is to make God's word our rule and his glory our end in all of our actions. And to be workers together with him. And this comes from his commentary. So, next page. The subjects of the spirit feeling. We're going to blow through some of this fairly quickly, but it, it, it's you. Are you a born-again Christian here tonight? Have you realized that you're a sinner? That your sin will separate you from God forever in his penitentiary called hell? And you will pay that, that price for your sin for, for all of an eternity if you don't trust Christ as your Savior. And you are to turn from that sin in repentance, and you are to come to Christ in faith. And it is literally even the God, God the Holy Spirit, who by his efficacious call is going to give you the ability to respond, and you will, you will come to him and trust him as your Savior. You'll be born again into the family of God. Has that happened to you? If it is not, I, I, I pray that you'll follow what Romans 10, 13 says and call upon the name of the Lord. But if you've called on the name of the Lord, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, it says there that we are the subjects of the Spirit's filling. In other words, he's trying to make all of us like Christ. Look at Ephesians 1. It said, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his, what are we? We're his body. The fullness comes from Plato again. Of him that filleth what? All in all. We looked at that. So we're looking at Christ-likeness. Romans 8, 29. How am I going to become Christ-like? Well, this is the mortification thing. And, and this is the process. This is the motivation thing. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image. You are to look like Jesus Christ in your daily life. And it is saying that that was the choice of God the Father in sending the Son. The choice was made before there was a sun, before there was a moon, before there was a stars, before there was universe. This was the decision that was made that you should be like the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might be the firstborn of many of this kind among, in other words, separating them out from what the world is like. You are the first of this kind among many brethren. And so God wants you to be a demonstration. A, you know, and they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. And they first called them Christians in Antioch. And, and the reason that is, you know, you know what our struggle is today? Here is worldliness. Here is carnality. And what we want to do is we want to get up there and see just, just how close we can get. Why can't we have that passion, that desire to become more Christ-like? You know, in the areas where we're really struggling in our world today with morals and music and, and all, what do, where do we draw the lines and where don't we draw the lines? If you are walking by the means of the Holy Spirit to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be predisposed to carefulness, not casualness and carnality. That is a theological fact. Paul says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. You know what? I'm not so concerned about where you draw your lines as I am about why you draw your lines. Why you draw your lines must be doxologically driven to the glory of God because you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. So the subject of the spirit feeling, it's, it's all of us. And so he's trying to get us to become Christ-like. Look at the second thing there. He's trying to get it. And by the way, you can look up those other verses. We don't have time tonight. I included them so they can be a blessing to you. Godliness. Notice what it says in 2 Peter 1.3, according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and what? 
Godliness, that means being like God through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. By the way, how do, you, how do you gain knowledge about God so that you can have godliness in your life? What did Paul tell you to do in 2 Timothy 2.15? To study, to show yourself approved unto God. What are you to study? The word of God. The word of God must be important. I'll tell you, I was so humbled. I was taking a young man in Warroad, Minnesota, helped start a church there many years ago, and I was, I, I was taking a young man out hunting, duck hunting, and he said, uh, uh, can, 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 can we just, I, I'm just finishing up memorizing Proverbs chapter 28. I said, well, amen. And his dad leaned over to me and said, he has Proverbs chapter 1 through 28 already memorized, as well as the book of Psalms, as well as the entire New Testament. And I, you know, struggle with John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. <laughs> I'm just proud to say here tonight that I finally got it right in front of a large group of people. <clears throat> you know, you and I could do a lot more, couldn't we? We could do a lot more of thinking on the Word. We could do a lot more of memorizing the Word. We could do a lot more of studying the Word. And then holiness, Ephesians 1, 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in, in love. You see the word blame there? It's the idea of you can be like a, a perfect spotless lamb in an Old Testament sacrifice. You can be fit to be used in service. And the Holy Spirit wants to make you to be like, like Christ in the area of love. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And in knowing God, Jeremiah 9, 24, but let him that glorieth, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth God. The word understandeth comes from the Hebrew word sakal. The under, uh, 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 knowing comes from the Hebrew word yada. Two synonyms in Hebrew. And the idea is that you attend to and you consider and you think about. And when somebody comes up and says, what do you really know? Well, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good fisherman. I'm a pretty good mechanic. But you you know what I know most? I know most about Jesus Christ. Is that your brag? Well, Jeremiah 9 says that if you will, it will bring God, in the Hebrew, chafetz, it will bring delight to the heart of God. It will bring delight to the heart of God. So these are all commands in the New Testament. Christ is saying that you need to command. By the way, there is a theological movement out there today that is telling us that all we need to do is listen to the indicatives of the New Testament, the statements. And the statements really describe everything that Christ has done for us, and the commands, the imperatives, and in the, in, in the verbs, they really aren't important. Nothing could be further from the truth. The New Testament imperatives, the commands that are in verb form, that are commanding us to do these things to the glory of God, literally our imperatives are calling us to work on accelerating degrees of obedience to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you working on accelerating your obedience to Christ in the areas where God the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? And if you're not, have you hardened your heart? Are you calloused? Are you grieving and quenching the Spirit of God? He is a real person. He is really God. And he really does live in you if you're a, a child of God tonight. He really does. And he wants to make you like the Lord Jesus Christ. Play Ruste and Penumatai by the means of the Holy Spirit. Make you to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. As you get up in the morning, you concentrate on the scriptures. You see the image of Christ. He is our, he is our phoos in the Greek. He is our image, our photography. He is the one that we are to become like. Hebrews 12, too, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
setting aside those sinful things, fighting against them. And I do that. Why? I fight against those sinful things because I love the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't engage in sinful anger. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and sin not. I learn what it means to sacrificially love my wife and my family and the work of God. Husbands, love your wives. Another imperative. Have the mind of Christ. And so you and I, John 13, 17, if you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Subjunctive mode for the do. Meaning that the potential is there for happiness and transformation in your life, but not everybody chooses to do it. Look at me, one-on-one. There's only two of us in the room, just you and me, okay? Is there real meaning to your life? I mean it. Is there real meaning to your life? It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how much power you have. It doesn't matter what you've owned. He that dies with the most toys still dies. It only matters how much you become like the Lord Jesus Christ while you have breath in this body. That's the only thing that matters. How you doing and what real meaning for life actually translates into being. Service means surrender. But surrender doesn't mean, oh Lord, I give my life to you and oh wow. You know, it's the old song. You're gonna love your new life with the Lord. It's like nothing that you've had before. No more tears and no more sorrows. No more worries about tomorrow. You're gonna love your new life with the Lord. Well, whoever wrote that had only been saved two minutes. (laughs) Or had no clue what the Bible was all about. Because, man, the Lord has called us to fight. The Lord has called us to to be disciplinary. The Lord has called us to let the Spirit of God dwell in us richly, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The gospel is designed to bring us to the places to where we get before Christ and said, Lord, I desperately want to be like you. And, you know, Peter, when when he failed, and, and, and another Peter was chosen to carry the cross. I don't know whether you ever knew that. They tied the hands behind the Lord Jesus' back. He walked through the streets on the way to the crucifixion, and he fell. Literally, his hands were behind his back, and so it bruised his heart. Fulfilling that Isaiah passage that he was bruised for our transgressions, I am told medically that about five hours later that shows up, literally when the heart of Christ burst. Peter hears about this a little later on, and they said, you know what happened when he fell? He couldn't carry the cross anymore. So they called upon, they looked in the crowd, and there was a big guy, and his name happened to be Peter. Well, if the disciples would have been there, which one was the biggest and the strongest and the most capable to carry the cross? That's right, Peter. But he wasn't there. So after the resurrection of Christ, Peter feels like he's absolutely unqualified to serve anymore. So he says, I go a fishing. And the rest of them said, they go with me. And so, uh, you know, shore lunch is dear to my heart. (laughs) He was on... The, the Lord used the shore lunch, and which is one of the reasons I use shore lunch. It work for the Lord, ought to work for me. You know? And uh, so anyway, Peter comes, he dives in, and he, and he comes, and, and Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these fish and fishing and working and doing all these other things? Do you love me more than that? And he goes, well, Lord, you know that I'm kind of fond of you, and you, you understand we're not going to do the Greek study. And so ultimately, Jesus really arrests him and said, all right, Peter, you failed me, but I have a plan for you. And the plan says, if you really do love me, fight your own sinful self and focus on being like me. 
And Peter said, you mean, Lord, I still can? You still can. You still can. And the next time you, you see Peter is Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 get saved through his preaching. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But you say, Ross, I've confessed that sin. I don't care. By the means of the Holy Spirit, surrender yourself to show your love for Christ by fighting the sins that are in your life. And I promise you that if you make a decision tonight, I promise you this, it is probably going to get worse for a while rather than better. Because that old serpent of sin in your life, once you whack it in the head to try and kill it, let me tell you, it isn't going to be happy. It's going to want to put out that decision for Christ. It's going to try and suppress that process to live to the glory of God. And it's going to fight harder than ever. And your love, that, that subjunctive potential for you to be able to, to go on for God is all hinged upon, yes, Lord, I love you this much that I'm going to get up, I'm going to memorize the Word of God. I am going to pray. I am going to think on the Scriptures. I am going to choose to do right. And I'm going to trust in you, Lord, by the means of the Spirit of God to remind me of the Word of God, to work within me the, the, the empowerment of the Spirit of God to become like the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because before the foundation of this world, you've been predestined to do that if you're a child of God in this room tonight. Let's bow our heads. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, just say, brother, I've got some struggles and sin battles going on in my life that I've got to be honest with you. I, it's not going well. And you'd be honest with